0: Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in.
1: Founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, Jordan and I are joined by the founder and CEO of Dagger, Mike Papowski. Dagger is a full-service creative agency with a nimble media company mindset. Equipped with a state-of-the-art in-house production studio, they offer their clients a full suite of offerings designed to bring brands to market with speed and capitalize on an ever-changing landscape. Dagger was named 2020 Ad Ad Age Small Agency of the Year and was listed three times consecutively on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest-growing private companies. We are pumped to have such a creative and entrepreneurial-minded guest. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast, my friend.
2: Drew, thanks, man. Good to be with you. Thanks for having yes you. sir.
1: Yes sir. Uh again, we talked about this pre-podcast but we're going to push pack past the fact that you are a USC graduate and we are are Clemson graduates. Uh I'm hoping yeah. that that tribal mentality got left a little bit behind in my younger years, but uh, I'm going to choose to push past that buddy. What I want hey, to know just before you out- even respond, before you even respond cuz you probably got something to quit <laughs> back at me about Clemson. Sure. Sure. Let's dive into the podcast. Um so you, you've built an incredible media and ad agency here uh, yeah. what where were you at when you thought about starting this what kind of series of events led you to do what you're doing here today
2: yeah um i, I like how you blew by the uh my inability to to talk trash to Clemson. and sorry well, i won't i won't do that <laughs> I won't the, the podcast off there so um yeah so I, I i'd always been in this in this business so going going way back there's you know, I, I always had the idea that, um, you know, so I ma- I majored in management marketing at USC. That's the last plug. And then, yeah. um, and then just got the entrepreneurial bug early in my career. So w- when I was in other jobs and most of that work was agency. So I worked consultant for brand, but I worked at other ad agencies and I always had, um, what I would say is just like this idea that I would start my own thing. I didn't know exactly how or when, but I was all a little bit discontent in jobs. Um, and I think I was also, I would say just a bit of a disruptor, you know, I I think going back to probably high school and grade school, it's, it started there, but I think it manifested in the business world with just thinking differently. Yeah. And, um, so, so the official start and, and I, um, I'd say luck is, is opportunity met with preparation, you know? And, uh, so that happened, that moment happened in 2015, where I really got a call, I was, I was working for a Madison Avenue, uh, advertising agency. And I got a call from a group here in Atlanta that said, look, we've, we've, this thing has started here. There's a, there's a few people in and we want you to come lead it. Um, that was really our board. And I knew some of our board members from here in Atlanta. I part of my career was Atlanta based before I was in New York. So they had seen me, I had actually, one of them was the president of a big, a big agency here. So he had Mm. seen what I would say my entrepreneurial qualities. Um, And so that was that, yeah, that was, that was early 2015 dagger uh, dagger was three, four people in a, in a room, the size you guys are probably sitting in right now. Um, Wow. And uh, so that was, that was the beginning.
1: What made you, what made you take the opportunity? Did you see the potential of that specific place or. Yeah. Yeah the first right entrepreneurial next step or what?
2: Um, a couple of things. So, so I did know the group involved. I always thought this business, I, I always felt like I had the, like the, the vision I knew, I knew how to do it. If, if I had the network of prospects. Right. And I, and I was at the time, I wasn't highly networked and that board was, so there was a nice, there was i don't want to say it was a fail safe startup because they, they never are you know sure, but, sure. but i i was confident that there would be some early opportunities to have some clients um that was one thing i think the other thing is i told you guys this at the answer to the first question is is there was always the itch and and i just big decisions like like this i I, I fast forward my life you know 5 10 years look back and say what would i regret the leap? and i and i knew worst case scenario I fall flat on my face, or the, the dagger falls flat on its face, and and I go back to New York and get another job. And mm. that was just my mentality. And I and I thought, if I stayed in a job in New York, I would always wonder. I, and I didn't know. I mean, I literally told myself, I think this is a once once or maybe twice in a lifetime opportunity, and you just don't you just don't pass on it. And and I looked at the worst case scenario. I said, okay, what is the absolute worst case? And it was it was a pretty easy scenario to face. Um, so that coupled with, I think just what I wanted all along in my career, um, yeah. ended up, ended up just, it, it was literally a no brainer. I mean, the call was we've looked through our Rolodex. You're the guy that we want to lead this agency. And I said, and they, they said, I'd love to tell you it's competitive, but it's not. And I said, I'd love to tell you, I have to think about it, but I don't, I mean, I mean, it was literally like, like 15 minutes. I mean, I wow. New York, I flew to Atlanta the, the next Friday night, met with the board. The other co-founder on a Saturday morning on the way to Marta, is you, uh, on the way to the airport via Marta, which is like yeah. one use for Marta. It's otherwise like completely useless. That's a separate uh, it's, yeah, it's so separate amazing. tangent. But um <laughs> even Atlanta, you you know the conversation. Yeah, it's like a plus sign, right? It's just literally a plus sign and I'm like it doesn't go to any neighborhoods. But um yeah. But on on Marta on the way to the airport uh, was I sent a text I said I'm in like that that's that if you'll have me I'm in and that was that and that was the beginning I, I resigned in New York a couple of weeks later packed the car subleased my place in New York and April 1, 2015, I started
1: wow man I'm I'm glad you uh, shared that insight I I don't know if that's been brought up yet but I, it was what was triggering off of my brain was what was your decision making kind of matrix or metric for uh, making that decision, right. When you have something successful, mm-hmm. it's one thing to start from scratch, which is, has its own fears and its own risk and all that kind of stuff. It's another thing to go from established and successful in some sense to another move. Right. right. And right. it's very interesting that you're, and I think spot on that your metric was actually fast forwarding and beginning to interplay, which would be more painful if I were to fail or if I were not to take the opportunity, exactly. right? And, and yep. that's, that's just a helpful met. I've, I've used that before with coaching clients, where we talk about the human spirit, being able to heal from hurt. Meaning like if you did something, it didn't work out. Yeah, that hurts, but it doesn't do well with being haunted, which is all the things you didn't do. It has a real hard time coping with like, what if I had asked her out? Or what sure. if I had sure. taken the job? Like that just sticks around in the brain. and doesn't really okay. get healed. You know? Um,
2: totally agree. I, and I think that's a fear. I don't know where I picked it up, but I don't want to be whatever age in the future, let's call it 75 or and Hopefully I can live that long, um, to live with any kind of regret. Yeah. yeah. That's just a general sort of thought and fear. Has that
1: continued to be somewhat of a guiding principle for how you guys have grown this business somewhat risk risk tolerant? Maybe I think that would translate into,
2: um, maybe I know I use it as a personal compass, I would say just in some big personal decisions. Um, with the, with the business a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think just generally going back to what I said about having a, maybe a more disruptors mindset and thinking a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, we're pretty aggressive. I, I don't know if it fully translated to our day to day decisions, but it's definitely a, I'd almost call it like a fork in the road compass, you know, when like, there's almost these big decisions. Yes. You try to just, you try to, you try to look forward with the with the, with the most amount of information that you've got um and then turn around and be like what's the better what's the better move um yeah and sometimes it's it's and certainly in this case right like if i had one year to live of course i wouldn't go through the you know crawl through the sludge of a startup for that year i would stay Mm -hmm. in my nice job and do that but uh but it's sort of the one step back hopefully for a big leap forward
0: yeah that's awesome cool quick uh quick detour going all the way back to something you mentioned earlier i just think it's an interesting thing that we haven't really talked about but uh, you mentioned they spotted that intra uh, entrepreneurial quality in you mm-hmm. I thought about just tagging that and just saying hey what do you think entrepreneurial qualities are and the reason I ask is we'll work the larger the company the more they're looking for innovation the more they're looking for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and that's just a topic that's uh, probably for you being in that creative space is is a common conversation but I think for a lot of our our founders too they might be looking for, how do we get more innovation inside of here? What do we spot when we're looking for those entrepreneurial qualities? Mm-hmm. What are some of those that you think were, were ones that you showed? And almost like, how do you be a positive intra- entrepreneur? Like say we've got somebody who's an employee right now and they want to push the bounds, but they're trying to figure out the right way to do it. Sure. Um, what are some of those qualities and any suggestions would be
2: be helpful? Yeah, um, that's a good question. And one I'm not, I don't know if I fully know the answer. I can tell you, I think my, um, a little bit of my path and how I ended up there, maybe that'll shed some light. but um, yeah, so before the entrepreneurial qualities that were spotted, I think were, I learned some of those at a previous agency where I was I was the first employee in. there was, was two twin brothers who were 27, 28 and I was 25 at the time, and that was the company. And I had always learned business, I think obviously through textbooks and then in a, in a big corporate corporate atmosphere. It was my first exposure, I would say, to just what I would call just non-linear thinking. Like, you don't have to just follow a process. It's how do you invent the process or how do you think differently? And if you know what the the goal is, which is to add value to the business, and that's kind of your North Star, how do you just do that versus like, think about your job as a job? And maybe yeah. that's the best way to describe it. Um, yeah. the, the, the manifestation at the agency that I was, working at was you know i i i was there for three years and i when i came in i was leading a book of business that was literally zero revenue and it became about four or five million dollars and so that um and through that we were basically selling um newer solutions maybe that the agency didn't do before and i think it was for me it was spotting an opportunity you know you know companies want revenue and value right and and how do you how do you build that against a possible market opportunity and and i think it's not like it all went seamlessly either you know i think there was some there it was it was successful but i i also think there were people that um there were probably some feathers ruffled in that moment where i was because i was senior enough i was senior vice president of the company and i think maybe our creative leader had a different vision at times or strategy leader had a different vision at times and i think um, I think I, in some cases, I was just so dogmatic about um, adding value that um, that maybe um, yeah my bedside manner could, could have been better at, at different times. Yeah, which <laughs> so says sometimes that that is
0: one of the entrepreneurial uh, traits or entrepreneurial traits is just a, a little bit of that willingness to keep pushing, and and sometimes is a a personality trait you learn along the way. But I really like the how do I add value to the business? Cause that truly is that entrepreneurial question. You know, they're looking at where is a problem that I can solve to add value to the world and receive the the profit of, of actually adding that value. I think that's powerful. And then the, just the tab on nonlinear thinking um, is that a out of the box thinking, which is, you know, that's probably in your core capabilities that you've, you know, you've brought into dagger, I would guess as well. Um, so, yeah,
2: I think so. Yeah. We've done, we've, I think we've done some things differently. I mean, I think I, I started this at a, like I, what I've always said, a pretty good inflection point in my career where I'd seen so many different situations and agencies and I knew what worked really well what didn't. So I had a lot of just, I'd say, institutional knowledge that I brought. I would also say, but I was still early enough in my career where we talked earlier, it was okay to fail, right? It was okay mm, to yeah. kind of take a detour. It wasn't like I was I needed a hoard for retirement or something like that, right? It was just, so I, I always felt like, this opportunity happened at this kind of perfect inflection point where I had enough of the experience, but also the willingness to take a big shot too. So Yeah.
1: yeah. So if if we go back to 2015 and you've taken the job, you're flying into Atlanta, you've got, you say three people that are, we're currently at dagger.
2: That's right. That's right. Well, uh, there's a funny story. So I started and then one of our founders went on, um, co-founder went on maternity leave Mm -hmm. and then we had a, at the time, a pretty entry level, Gentleman who went on a two week vacation to Europe. So it was actually myself (laughs) and our head of operations at the time. It was like, it's us. That was the company literally five years ago. It was two people. So, wow.
1: Wow. So once you got there and you know, you get your legs kind of under you and you, you assess what's going on, where, where's your mind at? Like what, what was your mindset? What was that first year characterized by when you, when you stepped into that?
2: It's funny, I talked about that this morning with somebody who's on a different topic. Um, and I went back there because I was I'm helping somebody else with a, with a, a startup. Um, it was the most, I would say, it was the hardest I ever worked in my, in my career. Um, you know, I, I, I was in, we, you, most weekends would be spent, um, a, good, a good portion of them would be spent in the office or focused on the business. Um, and I was just like, I basically, um, the, I knew, you know, when you're in startup mode, you, you it's, you're, you're you're building the business, you're, you're finding revenue and, yeah. um, I was just like in attack mode, I would say it was probably, and I, we can get to this maybe at some point of the, of the podcast, I mean, I actually tapped out for six weeks with a horrible back injury, which I think and that happened in 2017, which was a result of just stress. Wow. And, and if I if we later on get into just lessons learned and things like that, that's one of them. But I was just I I would say for 18 months, I was in I was a version of myself that I don't think I would ever want to be again. But I think it was the version of myself that the company needed to get where it needed to get to, which was just like, um, there's somebody else I'm advising on a startup where it's like, you ever see a greyhound race where the rabbit shoots out and then the greyhounds are just like chasing the rabbit. Yeah. It's so, so what i felt like in terms of revenue and growth the company was just like i was constant and it was it was an obsession um but uh i guess that and so i think a lot of my 2018 2019 has been finding integration balance and mm. um and i'm still focused and ambitious but um trying to to temper it all a little bit. oh more. yeah
1: i mean but yeah I we know. oh absolutely yeah we talk about it a lot like um you know, what, what it takes for a rocket ship to get off the earth and into outer space, it, it's going to use 90% of its fuel just to get out of earth's gravity, you know, right. just to get off the ground, to get momentum. And the most precious, the most precious uh, energy in the universe is momentum, right? If you can get an object from rest to end motion, yeah. you've got something. And so you're right. It's those first early years where you're most tempted to give up, you're most discouraged, you're battling. I told our salespeople, this is the hardest this is ever going to be, right? Right like it there's going to be different challenges but it's the hardest when you're the new kid on the block or when you're you're yeah. going from no customers to one customer or from one to 10 and and so forth. Yes. Um so it's I'm true. curious. It's yeah, true. did Yeah, go
2: ahead.
1: Do you look back at it? I'm sure with a mixture. Well, I actually don't know. Do you look back back at it fondly? Do you look back at it like wow, that was miserable and I'm glad it's over? Um does it um, go ahead and Talk. what were some of the lessons that emerged from that too?
2: Yeah, I mean uh, uh, yeah, so um as I look back on it definitely fondly just because of what it is today. I mean, you know, I've told people that where we are today was, was in like, it was a dream, you know what I mean? So, so I think you have to, so I'm from Vermont and the summer's really nice in Vermont because the winter is so horrible. You know what I mean? So (laughs) I I think like the, the excitement I have about the company now, I think is more, even more, exacerbated because of what i knew the early years were like um mm. so would i do it again i would start up again i don't know if i'd start up another agency again um yeah but um, um and I, I think you asked another question i, I lost it answer in the first one
1: oh you're good yeah I, I was just asking about some of the lessons um, that came from that um and it, and it makes me curious you know having gone through that, having to fight and scratch so hard. And you said you had this vision in your head. I know not every time, but oftentimes there's some critical pivots that we have sure. one thing in mind, sure. but then it, it evolves over time or we realize like, no, the real opportunity is over here. And we kind of change the plan. Was it that for you guys? Or was it more like, no, we actually saw oddly enough, the plan. And it was just a matter of working it till it succeeded.
2: I think we saw the plan and working it till it succeeded. I think, you know, because we're a B2B business, this, this, Business, this industry has been made before and done before. I think there's nuances and incremental innovations, but it's not like I think. I think about a consumer product, right, where it pivots, you know, four different times before it actually becomes what the market demands. Right. So, to me, I think um, I think for us, I think I had a pretty clear idea, and uh, of and and I think we. we came to market in Atlanta at the right time as well. And, and that was part, that was part of the whole sort of thesis of Dagger was, and and I know you guys are, spent time here. And um, one of you guys, one of you's living here. Um, there's so many great brands in this city, right? And I think it's like fourth for Fortune 500 brands, but from a consumer brand standpoint, you've got Chick-fil-A, Coca-Cola, Home Depot, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche. I mean, there are so many great brands in this yep. city, Wild Wings. Um, and um but i always felt when i was here that there the the agency didn't match the level of brands and so much of the work that i wanted to do was being exported to new york chicago and la and Um, just felt like that didn't need to be because i felt like the talent was either moving here or was here brought on by what the production film industry you know you've got a lot of people once they get to a certain point you have a kid in new york Right. And then what are those financial implications? People pull the plug and look for an Austin or Atlanta or some of the benefits of the city, but not that level of expenditure. So I just had that belief that Atlanta was right. I just, and I still, I've carried that belief. And I think most people that I've interviewed with are like, well, what's the vision? I'm like, it's this. I think, Mm. I think there's never, and I don't want to say never. There's been some agencies that have done it done it well, but there's never almost been a what I would say this world class agency in in our industry. You can you can name them. There's one out of Portland. There's one out of Richmond, Virginia. Um, there's one yeah. out of York. There's out of Boston, right? But Atlanta's never had that, and that's still the drum I'm beating, honestly. Mm. Um, so um, that's awesome. Also, don't know if I answered that question, but
1: I. <laughs> you're doing great. You're doing great. It's not as bad as like
2: Trump or Biden, right? I mean, at least like at least I'm getting, at least I'm close. Listen, you're close.
1: <laughs> Miles ahead. Well, i
2: <laughs>
1: anything. Any, anything but those two right Another now. Another welcome relief. I do want to pivot to the personal real quick because you mentioned it reminds made me think of this when you talked about burning real hard, churning real hard, actually having that stress lead possibly do a back injury out six weeks, that kind of thing. It's a question we ask a lot of these founders because you are intricate to the business. Right. Um, so I'm just curious for you, like what are some of the keys to you showing up to your business ready to rock every day, whether that's a a habit or val, you know, um, priorities, health, sleep, what are some of the things that that really keep you uh, primed and ready to rock?
2: Yeah. Health hundred percent. and, 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 I think people say that it sounds it's it's cliche. When you really lose it, it it's almost it it, it almost has become an obsession for me. Uh, and that sleep, that's taking time to just breathe or meditate and calm my you know when when stresses get elevated to to calm myself. It's eating healthy. It's hydration. It's finding ways to get outside and exercise every day. Um, Honestly, that, that was probably, that's probably the biggest life lesson I learned in all of this outside of, let's say, the business. Mm. It is the moment you lose that, you've got nothing. I mean, I put it over family, right? Just because you're not even a good father or husband or son or whatever. Um, if you're in chronic pain, right, you're showing yeah. up completely different. Um, and people have had you know, horrible illnesses like cancer, they know that, right? When they come back, it's it's how are you almost living your life so that you'll never um, go back there. Um, yeah. But for me, I think, and this is kind of interesting, right? Like, I think we talk about 2015, 2016. I think I was I was operating at an 11 in terms of what I thought I was contributing to the business. Now I would say it might be an eight, but it's because it's a, it's a good eight <laughs> because... Yeah. It's focused I'm getting a full night's sleep and i'm more focused that i'm happier, right um and uh that's the biggest thing it's it's it sounds so cliche but i i no, i it's not. prioritize the integration of health because you yeah. know that if i know that if i falter or if i show up in the office and obviously that's a moot point these days but and i'm in a pissed off mood i've got 70 people one person has an interaction with me that's underwhelming. That that's a that's a big impact to somebody, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for me, I'm much more cognizant, especially as we've gotten older, of like some of those micro interactions and and mm-hmm. how impactful those are. I think to to the organization, to the team, and if, and if I'm showing up so so, you know, uh, it's 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 not it's not good for the culture at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, one of my, uh, just to, to stay on this, I'm curious about, uh, almost like looking back, because there is a piece of the the ramp up time, we even talked about already, you know, the rocket ship, it's
2: going to use up more fuel. Yeah, but I, I love that, by the way, that I love it's that. It's just like that. Real. I always used, uh and I don't mean to cut you off. Um, no, that's right. Go ahead. Uh, the flywheel analogy right? Yep. Like where it's those first rotations, those are the hard ones, but once it gets going, right, you've got this yeah. inner But That's anyway. right.
0: Yeah, but, exactly. So I'm almost thinking through like uh, on the health side specifically, um, where there were some things that you learned, could you have still been doing those things? Could you still have been actually applying those things? Would it have made that 11 much more bearable if you had been doing some of those and, and almost like kind of attacking the, the perspective of like, you have to grind and kill yourself during this time. It's like, hey, what did you actually learn? Where you are like, no, I could have been doing this,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: this could have made that eleven feel like a nine or a ten mm-hmm. um, if I had just been doing these things. Was there any of that, or, or was it like, no, you know, the, the, the was, journey was inevitable.
2: Ah, it's a good. It's a good question. I mean, I'm one of those people that, as long as I'm conscious about trying to make decisions without regret, I mean, yeah. it's hard for me to go back and say, I wish I had. Right. It's, it's, it's crazy. And again, we won't have to get too far into the, the the back injury and kind of what, what happened with, with me for probably like a year and a half, but now, I'm now grateful for that in this, in this really yeah. weird way because it's, it's taught me so much for me. It was, it, it, it's just a mindset. I, I still have the, the aggre- the aggressiveness and the ambition and the drive and the focus. It's, um, it's just, I, I, I integrate a more like restorative mindset along the way. And yeah. even before, like I was exercising before, but I would go to like Bikram yoga, which most yoga can be pretty restorative. Bikram is like hard, pretty hardcore. You're in like hundred <laughs> degree heat. I'm like sweating it out. So I almost had this mindset that the more, the, the, the higher I can create the barrier that I'm going over, the the less people have a chance of catching me. It sounds so so yeah. weird. Right. And, and I don't know, like I'm, I'm grateful for it all. I don't know if I would go back and change it. It all happened the way it did. Um, yeah. It
0: almost I, sounds almost like your story is your story and you embrace it the right way is what it sounds like. But also that wisdom of uh, we talk about the, the peak performance, book. Can't remember exactly. who, that, who the author was, Drew. Um, but stress, yeah, stress plus recovery equals growth. And so that thought of you finding more restorative practices yes. and not yeah. just continuing to push the stress thing, um, the stress could create some growth if the recovery is there. And that's what I hear. And, and what I would hope other founders or listeners would hear is, you know, the grind or really pushing yourself to your limits is not terrible, but you got to be, be yeah. really yeah. attentive to how you restore yourself.
2: Well, and that maybe that's you guys sparked something. Another way that I used so six years ago, I always thought, I never thought about stress. I never thought about it. I'm like, what is that? I don't even I don't even understand the concept of it. Yeah. And through this, I think you you said it really well. Um, that yes, it, it, it uh, stress is actually good, right? Like that's that's what's going to have us grow. But if it is your I think it's your relationship with it right exactly um, yes and and i think i just had a and i didn't know it at the time but i had an unhealthy relationship with it because my relationship with it was i'm gonna motor through it because of what however i was wired at the time and now it's just i just have a very different wiring around mm-hmm. it and i forgive myself more like if i need to rest like if i just need to yeah you know get off this podcast lay on the ground and breathe for five minutes i used to think i was like whoa, i'm I'm not contributing to business right now, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I felt like I had to be an 11. Now I'm knowing that I'm a better eight because yep. I've, I've restored. So mm. that's a, it's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting you bring that up because we do uh, often, we'll start off a coaching relationship with an executive team or an executive with like a three-hour intensive, like a deep dive to get to know them, how they operate, their world, their goals, all that kind of stuff. And one of these is we talk through this the stress relationship. And that's how, how we phrase it is the formula is in stress plus recovery equals growth. Whether that's physically as an athlete, you have to stress your body, which is time under tension and you have to give it recovery to get the gains that your stress was trying to give you, right? It gives you the micro tears, the stress or the recovery yeah, back stronger. You get the result. And in business, it's the same thing. Like, but what I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this as well, a human trait is we have gutters on either side of wisdom. Right, where we have overreactions, one side or the other. Sure. And, and right now, especially in business, there's kind of two camps. There's the camp that worships stress. That's like the Gary V grind, grind, yeah. go. And it's there's tough. those that demonize it. Yeah. That, that are like, I try to rid my life of stress. Like, I don't I, do anything that stresses me out. And I'm like, neither of those are true. Like, the real calibration is just knowing it's not something to be worshipped or demonized. Yeah. It's about your calibration to it, where you have proper stress that's met with proper recovery and you get fantastic results. And I noticed even earlier, you said I have to forgive myself sometimes when I need a break. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's towards the worship side where you almost feel like a guilt. Like if I'm not grinding for the business, I have to use the words, forgive myself to take some time off. It's kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, it's very interesting. I love the, the analogy and the framework that you guys are teeing up just in terms of the analogy of being an athlete. And you mentioned Gary V. It's so funny you say that because that is that that is the he is sort of the personification of that mentality. Um, and he used to say, I mean, I think he's backed off it a little bit now, but he used to yeah. say all the time, he's like, Well, you know, if you want to start a business, work nine to five, come home, pet the dog, and then work until 2 a.m. and then get back up and keep going, you know? Mm-hmm. And part of that's true. Like it's true in a way. Right. It does perpetuate like an idea, you know, that that you just got to always be grinding, like talking, thinking about yeah. the grind. And what's funny to hear you reference that is that I listened to so much Gary V 2015, 2016, 2017, and no, no diss to Gary V Cause I think he's great. Yeah, he's great. yeah absolutely. But since then I actually haven't listened to him, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, it's just, again, it's about a recalibration. So like, if yeah. you're way over here, let's say you're on the lethargic side on the, I'm sitting in my mom's basement with a white a vision board, hoping it's just going to happen. Yeah. he's a great voice for you like you need someone kind of kicking you in the in the pants saying like dude you got to right. work hard for this this is not going to come without you working hard but someone yeah. like you that's probably got a natural disposition towards hard work it cranked you to overdrive Good. and yeah. you you need a kind of an opposite voice to say like you don't need forgiveness it's actually strategic if we can figure out so again i like to think about like an athlete i have yeah. no problem if you want to do two a day's I have no, I used to play soccer at a competitive level, Jordan baseball. I was a coach for a while. Like I have no problem with people running and working really hard, but then it means we're going to be strategic about replacing their electrolytes, getting sleep, making sure they have muscle recovery. And it's like, that's the part of the conversation that's missing in the Gary V part that I bet he actually does embody in his real life. Sure. You know, I bet he actually does. I mean, it sounds like he's got a marriage and a kids, you know, like, but yeah. it's not what is predominantly coming through his channel because maybe it's not his audience um but i think that's really fascinating
2: yeah it's fascinating and then, i mean honestly it's kind of like it's dawning on me as you guys talk about it too like my executive coach now so early on i, had, I worked with a coach who was much more of like a sales guy right and now my executive coach is a former yogi and i he's almost like somebody that would be like like fred Armisen's character in portlandia you know yes he's just chill he's more he's more yoda um and yeah it's just interesting to see, like, see the continuum in the five years. And I honestly, before I, this conversation with you, you guys, I hadn't really, I've thought about it, but I hadn't, I don't think I've had a frame or an articulation the way that we've talked about it now. Yeah, that's cool. awesome, man.
0: Uh, just while we're still on it, any actual tactical side of things you've, you've hit on a few things, but any strategy or really tactics that you'd say, stress reducing tactics, Yeah. anything in there that you've found specifically that's helpful?
2: nature get outside like hike and bike for me you know i think i think i think i used to always think in terms of like okay i gotta work out you know what i mean i gotta do like a spin class or you know or um a class or something like that for me i'm i am i'll forgive myself i just go out on my bike and just cruise around you know what i mean because i'm outside the heart's pumping i'm not really um thinking especially now it's great with covid and everything yeah um I would say that's the number one. And what's 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 funny is I think I got away from that. I mean, I became pretty urban centered guy, even yeah. I grew up in the Green Mountains. Um, Same of uh, of Vermont, which is very outdoorsy. But I think I just like moved away from that, and I've come back to that, especially in the last two years, especially with COVID. Honestly, I've, I've yeah. just, um I've just got outside. That's a that's a game changer for me. It's it's huge. Yeah um you know i'll meditate i think uh, um a little bit i haven't gotten into it as much as that's a that's something i want to do i've been much better about sleep uh yeah. routines with just hydration and like a yeah. cbd right here you know like i've always yeah. got different things going but um um that is funny just to get on like one that's the number one sorry
0: Gotcha. No, just to hit on meditation. Cause I want to give you, we're probably a little bit like-minded meditation for me is actually in the stress bucket, not in the recovery bucket. It's like, if I'm meditating, it actually, the, the tactics and the breathing actually does help with, with my body recovery. But I do think about the discipline of meditation right now is more like stress where I'm actually trying to quiet the mind, hmm. try to actually slow down and not just keep going and, you know, actually capture my own thoughts and be present. Cause I definitely am more oriented towards future what are we about to do? Even if that's one hour from now or a year from now or 10 years from now. Uh, so I have found that meditation is like, I know this practice is great. The breathing tips have, have been massively helpful for just, uh, reducing the stress in the moment. Or, I mean, it's been really, really helpful, uh, and just being able to quiet down and get that increase in oxygen, um, and even just the depth I've even found of of learning about those things and realizing, okay, this isn't just a spiritual practice. This is actually something that will physiologically support the direction that you totally. want to go, which is work yeah. your, your tail off to, to get some results. I think those are the things that I've found have been really helpful. But yeah, I yeah. do I do somewhat keep it in the stress bucket for me still as I learn the, the discipline.
2: Yeah, I just, um, I listened to about three quarters of the way through it. But um, you guys know Wim Hof? yeah like, yeah um he I loves saw- the
1: the breathing and the ice yeah. plunges and all yeah. that stuff
2: yeah so he posted a book called breath by a guy named james nester it's yellow cover and i listened. i've about three quarters of the way through it but it's talking about the power like the the physiological benefits of breath of just like stress and calming i mean you guys are gonna think i'll put this out on on the on the public airwaves right now i've actually i actually done stuff where I've like tried to tape my mouth shut while I sleep. Sometimes just so, because they're all about the benefits of nose breathing of the book. Yeah. um it's an interesting. Book it just talks about basically how as humans we've evolved in almost every other way, but our breathing, we've devolved. So I've actually been like playing around with that a little bit. But um how did that go? It actually probably. I don't know if it's placebo, but the times I've done it, I've probably done it about 10 times yes Uh, you You slept
1: the whole night through with the duct tape over the mouth
2: yeah so actually the last time i did i woke up and it was like it was off so i think i was trying to take it off but um (laughs) there's been no so there's been a couple times like seven and a half eight hours and i feel amazing it's crazy i don't know if it's placebo or that i literally broke breathed through my neck through my nose for eight hours and i just felt amazing um so but
1: that is that is super interesting.
2: Yeah. So I mean,
1: I do know, I do know. So I, 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 I've had to kind of walk my way through. Basically, I think it's mostly genetic, but having somewhat anxiety in my family and then in my life for so much of my life, and that was one of the first things I noticed was you don't notice how shallow your breathing is. Not even like shallow panting, but literally just like not taking full breaths. And then you're like, well, of course, that's got to be having some kind of you know, general a physiological effect when you're just kind of always somewhat shallow breathing. And so I'll have to catch myself regularly. I, I call it sit up straight and breathe in deep. Like my posture will kind of get this way. So I'm like, dude, I got to sit up, totally. take full breaths. And like, it just locks you back into the moment, which is okay. We could geek out on this forever
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the audience. I- sake. I keep thinking about my vanity metrics of taping my mouth shut is going to take my beard away. You know, I'm like,
2: yeah, that's harder for you. It's how committed it are you, man?
0: How committed? Shave your beard. I know. Oh. I'm like, gosh, my man Mike's challenging me. I don't know.
2: No <laughs> but back to the one tip, it's definitely nature. I mean, breath. I think I'm not qualified to go too deep on the power of it, but I know it's sure. Hard. I'm starting to go there, but um, for me, yeah, it's number one tactic is is just get outside and do what we're supposed to be doing, no. we're doing Yeah. There, right? or we're not made to be sitting here in front of these big, big screens, artificial environments.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. Especially, you know, they call it the concrete jungle, right? When we live in cities, which there's nothing wrong with living in cities, but if you're not offsetting it with being around natural things and especially being out in sunlight and, and the vitamin D, it just really, I mean, there's a reason why Alaska has such a higher depression and suicide rate than the rest of the country. And it's because sure. there's whole seasons that are dark, literally it's dark all day. And so yeah. I have a friend who's an FBI agent there and they have to have UV light, like the, uh, the mimic sunlight in their house to give wow. them enough vitamin D to not have like the winter blues from all the darkness. Wow. It's, it's really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to have a similar kind of conversation, but it doesn't have to be like in terms of physical recovery or whatever, sure. uh, but around teams. So you, we're going to fast forward some just for the sake of time, but you guys have built sure. an incredible agency we're working with amazing brands doing some really innovative stuff. And obviously you've hired along the way and you've built from three to
2: what, what size, um, Uh, I think we're shade under 70 right now. Yeah. Uh, Wow. It will probably be 70 plus by the time the year ends. So yeah, we've actually, I just did accounts where like, I think 12 since the beginning of August, we've been on a big spurt over this last. Mm
1: -hmm. Wow. uh, Well, getting there first off is a, is a congratulations, uh, Mark. And then also any business surviving in, in COVID, uh, is another, um, you know, badge of honor, honestly, uh, and a testament to the, to the work you guys have done. So, but that leads me just to the question that we love to talk about all the time, just like personal performance, but it's just around how you guys think about team performance. How do you think about, how do you think about culture? How do you think about getting the best out of the people that you have there? And I would especially think it's obviously important in any industry, but particularly in a creative industry where that's a really easy thing to lose the muse, you know, to lose the muse or to lose focus on details and drop balls that matter. Um, but what have you guys, what kind of conversation or thinking have you had around the performance of your
2: teams and your people? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the name of the game, honestly, certainly at this point, you know, I mean, I talked about sort of the, the kind of the revenue and the startup obsession. Um, you know, definitely the, I'd say the last 18 months, the, the charter of our leadership is how, how do we create dagger to be, um, a place where people can come and do their, the best work of their careers. Mm. And that's not just like, Oh, I have a good monitor or, you know, and a good chair. It is, there's inclusivity, it's feelings of safety, um, you know, starting meetings off with good news to get people who might be introverts to just like get them going and talking. So, you know, you, you're, you're hundred percent right that our business specifically is a people business. You know, I mean, we don't have a product, we are the sum of our people. And so how we come together in terms of our process, our collaboration, um, is probably one of top three things that I think about and obsess around all the time. Um, one way we do that is just honestly staying close to, to uh the team you know last friday i did what it's we they call it friday lunch with mike where about I, I get cross-functional teams together people that don't normally work together we just have a fun conversation that it, it ends with what's dagger doing well what could we be doing better mm. and um and then the leadership team is doing especially now with COVID, um just check-ins with people how, how are you doing how are things going and to me, we're always gathering quote-unquote data. We have surveys too. But to me, uh, I always think of it as we are sifting through noise and data to find the signals of the things that we need to be improving so that people can uh, do their best work. Yeah, but I almost look at my job sometimes as either running interference for people or getting out of their way. And so, so, so often we want to be running interference for them on problems to then uh, get out of the way because we're hiring professionals. We're hiring people yeah. like better marketers than me, better writers than me, better creatives than me, better account people than me. Um, so my job really had, you know, I said, it's the name of the game. The job really has become outside of the business growth and the vision. It's building a culture that is, um, is that, that has that at the center of it. And, um, one other thing I'll say about that is is I've always in in jobs where I became discontent, you know, whether it was bureaucracy or I didn't understand, or it was even just what I call Groundhog's Day, where it's this yes. problem existed six months ago, it's still today, it's still today. I that was one of the biggest things I said with daggers. I I I don't want us to be that. Then that's why good people leave, is because they you say you care, you say you're listening to the problems and they don't change. So to me, that's the that's the job of leadership is to say, what are these things and how do we solve them so that in six months, those are no longer the problems, because it's not that the problems, it's not if there'll be problems, it's where are they? And that's, yeah. every, that's every growing organization. Um, yeah. So, Man. yeah, that's so,
1: that's so wise. And even uh, just I got to make this little note here because that it's, it feels um serendipitous that you you mentioned that this is the same principle i I literally call it the groundhog principle it was actually almost almost the name of my first book was going to be same Shit different day because that is that's the feeling that comes out of the groundhog's day right is like i can't and i I talk about this where we were built to endure a lot of pain but the kind of pain we can't endure is when the same thing keeps happening over and over again that's like it's the repetitive pain that drives us crazy like the water dripping on the head we are like, at least switch up the kind of pain, like, let me get the pain from the new growth or the new sure. challenge versus nothing, nothing changing. Um, so I, I love that you've, you've already observed and seen that and how, how almost like death to a culture that can be when they yeah. feel like leadership is not paying attention and we're just, you know, suffering through the same stuff without any change going on. Yeah. It's interesting.
0: interesting uh, the formal, you know, formal term is engagement, and you're talking about employee engagement, which maybe it feels a little bit mechanical for for what we actually end up doing to to make sure that happens. But you know, people quit the job, they quit the boss, they quit the culture, they quit the team. Those are kind of the four forces of disengagement. But my my father uh, once told me told me a story, and uh, he actually he he was a leader in a large corporate. Uh, setting, which, um, was cool to learn from him, but he, he worked with some manufacturing plants and he was talking about, uh, one of the worst things you could ever do is if management decides like, you know, we want to turn, we want to make the culture better around here. You know, we're going to give a survey out, you know, we're going to give a survey. We're going to hear from, hear from the people. And he he said, man, when, when you give that survey out, like everybody's engagement, like goes up, like you're hearing from them, this is awesome. He goes, but if you didn't do anything about it, that place was about to get much, much worse, and yeah, it was about yeah. to tank. And it was, you know, hey, we we heard you, we gave you gave you a voice, and we did the worst thing, which is we didn't even we, do anything yeah, about
2: it. Exactly. Which, um, you look, man, man. I think that's the biggest thing is they that people have to trust leadership. They oh. have to trust that you have their best interest. And I love that. I love that example, um, Jordan, because I think that's almost like. Breaching that trust, right? Yeah. We, yeah. Oh, hey, we're gonna we, we invite oh, you wait, to be no, vulnerable. Oh, that's too much work, you know. Yeah. Tell yeah, us yeah. your problems. That's 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 too much. He said
0: uh, it was as simple as just applying one thing. If, yeah. As long as you just applied one thing, from what you heard, you'd get you would get the result. You'd actually get the increased engagement. Yeah. That would help your turnover rate go down. And he was like, it, it was somewhat simple, and it was always hard because there's a reason why whatever that. You know, request doesn't exist right now, you know, yeah. going to take more effort or more intentionality or whatever the thing may be. He's like, but yeah, but it could get worse if you, if you go and ask, which I guess, you know, maybe that's, that's to protect those companies who, who don't want to care. Like, well, don't, don't ask for people.
1: <laughs> Just don't ask if you don't, well, yeah, <laughs> if you don't intend on changing. Don't ask what you would change. Right. Yeah, that's right. And we've literally had that conversation with a few clients. Like you guys, you have to at least do one thing, like something, some that like truly shows that you did something with it. You can make excuses for the rest. It's almost like, I I, I like to joke about this all the time, why no one cares about student body presidents, right? If if I think back to like high school and electing the student body president, it's like, I don't give a crap about this because you can tell me we're gonna get new Coke machines and ice cream and whatever, but nothing ever changes because of you. So, But if they'd gotten us one new Coke machine, everybody would have erupted. Like, oh my gosh, right? Like they got us something we wanted. Never happens.
2: (laughs) I also love how that like that's like the biggest thing in every student body president's uh, on their agenda. Like yes. that's a platform. It's Some gonna kind be kind of sugar. It's gonna be like Dr. Pepper and the machines.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it is for the kids these days. It's probably something yeah. healthier, I hope. Well what's your platform? My platform is Dr. Pepper and all the machines. Right. You're my guy. You're right. my guy.
2: <laughs> um but back to what we we're talking about, so I'll, I'll take it just one step further for you guys, and this could be for interesting for your audience, but I think one thing that we've done to almost, um, it's almost like a, an analogy or a metaphor, I would say, for how we look at perpetual improvements around things that impact the culture. And we, we call it uh, DOS, like lower, little D-O-S, like mirroring the I-O-S. Um, naming convention and then we call it dagger operating system. And there's apps slash modules within that, that the reason I love the operating system as a analogy is because like the operating system of iOS, they're constantly improving, right? As more people get on the system or as they, as they're bug squashing, they're constantly improving the operating system. And I've said, that's the way DOS needs to be. We, we constantly need, mm. it. within the, within DOS there's, it governs different modules and one is like routines it's like how we do stand-ups every day it's uh our tool set right and how we're constantly evolving our tool set um dei is now a module: diversity equity and inclusion and what we're doing initiative around that and so these are and one more we call glue which is basically like the things we do to come together to build trust that are just outside of our work you know just to basically build, build team bonds and what those activities are and we constantly survey around those things. So people can be like, this tool isn't working anymore. Or why aren't you guys doing this around diversity or so we have, it's basically we have, you know, I'm not going to pull out a slideshow, but, um, but our COO, this, this town hall is, or this coming week is going to just deep dive on kind of a readout of, um, of how DOS is evolving, get some new people just up to speed on it. So we almost have, it's almost imbued in our culture that, that that's what it's about. It's always that, and and that DOS is, everybody's fingerprints are all over it, right? If you have an idea for DEI, we're, we're trying to survey against that. So it's not just like, what can be better? It's like, what can be better around all of the different aspects that, that influence our, our, our work and our culture? Um, Wow. So I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, I think it's like a a little bit of a secret weapon as we, as we think about yes. not much of a secret anymore. Um, Sorry, uh, not no,
1: anymore after this.
2: It's all good. I'm actually, you know, my, my thing is um, it's 90%, exe- 10% idea, 90% execution. Right. You know? So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty liberal with the ideas. Um, yeah. Still got to go and do it.
1: So yeah, well, that's—I'll just tell you—that's one of the—that's one of the most innovative things we've heard thus far. I would say on the podcast around intentionally creating your culture and engaging your teams. Bravo, man! I think it's—I think it's what was in people's hearts when they when they gave people scooters and nap pods, but it wasn't what. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It wasn't what the culture actually needed. It's like no, it needs that level of of operational thinking that creates. Real ongoing upgradable solutions to things like trust and connection and work efficiency. I'm sure and those kinds of things. So, wow, that is super inspiring to hear.
2: Cool, yeah, and we try to have the other things too. You know, fun, you know, lunches and sure, stuff like that. But, but those are apps.
0: What's that? Those are apps, right? Apps on your
2: operating system. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that analogy. Um, You know, what is the underlying thing that's always improving? And then you can have apps that come and go, um, that come with popularity and and hopefully plenty that stay around. That's that's really good. Uh, Mike, let's hit the lightning round, man. Lightning okay, round time. Cool. Yeah. Uh, question number one for you. Uh, if you can ingrain one message into your organization, uh, what would it be?
2: Um, I would say that scaling the idea that we care. Honestly, uh, you know, we, we are, I, I, we, we've already said this, we're a people-centered business and, and our whole purpose is that the dagger cultivates the improbable within people. That's our outward purpose. It's what, what are we doing? That's nothing to do with, with profit. And, and what I want people to, when I look, going, we'll play this time machine exercise. When I fast forward 20 years and look back, the most fulfilling aspect of all of this is what people learned in their careers or gained in their, or what they gained from their, their time at Dagger versus yeah. the awards, the revenue, the work, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think it is scaling that in that just idea all the time that even when people are having a hard day, we, that, that it is a place that is always, we are trying to be progressive and move forward. Yeah. I love that one a lot.
0: Uh, question number two, single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business and the worst
2: advice. Um, okay. So, so best is this is a saying that I absolutely love. One of our board members told me this probably 2016 and it just stuck with me. And I say it to our leaders all the time, which is do only the things that only you can do. And, um, and I just think that's so powerful because one, it puts people to have people operating in their strengths for one, yeah, yeah. and uh, and two, it's sort of like a a higher order of delegation. You know, it's like the moment that I am creating a project plan, I'm actually hurting the organization, right? Or you know, I'm taking away from what I'm thinking of all the stuff we're talking about, thinking about the vision, thinking about the growth of the company, and I know that I'm. I think I'm the only person that can do what I'm doing in in the company whereas there are people who are hiring who are doing much can do their roles much better than I can do. So I think it's like it is a it is a leadership lens that I've loved and I say it all the time so it's do only the things that only you can do. That's a great piece of advice that I've got. Yeah. Uh um, right. worst? Uh this is hard. I don't think I've I've I've, I've I think it's implicit advice. It's not, you know, somebody said this to me, but I've seen it with leaders. And I think, I think in our business, I I always think about um, I think agencies specifically will chase revenue and they start to get outside of core competencies. I always use this kind of joke uh, or this, this expression, like we are not going to be the agency that tries to take out our clients trash, because I think, you, some agencies will start work with a client and say, like, oh, well, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. Then all of a sudden you're just, you're mediocre at everything. So I think it's staying core. And I've just seen so many, I've seen leaders do this in the past where they just start to chase money and it, it's counter vision or this, or there's maybe no vision to start with. So that's probably, it's implicit advice. You know, it yeah. was, it's, it's, it's a role model that I probably just steered away from that as an idea, but I don't think I've gotten any like really bad advice
0: yeah. I think yeah. that's it it's a good thing uh well hopefully you forgot all of it uh, that's yeah, probably what happened exactly um uh, did not entertain it uh question number three uh we got the DeLorean question here you yeah. get to get back to the future so if you could go back to the past shout one thing to yourself from the driver's side window of the DeLorean uh, sure. when would you go back what would it be
2: um I mean I think it would be you, you Jordan you you sort of alluded to this in that kind of that that phase where I I tapped out and I was and I was all stress on stress and I'm like, I'm just gonna fight through this. I, you know, I think it's it's definitely that. And I, I think we unpacked that earlier, but I think the the advice to myself at the time, and it, and this this advice would have would apply to me. You know, you you talked about the mom in the basement that's or the the kid in his mom's basement that, that wasn't me. Somebody who saw what I was doing and maybe saying here's some, uh, either stress resiliency or restorative practice practices that will help this be a marathon and not a sprint that you're going to collapse at the end of. Um, so that would probably be it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um,
0: it's good. Number four, uh, yeah. what's, what causes you the most worry leading your organization?
2: Uh, I always have a, a healthy level of paranoia. I feel, I think the, you know, I think, um, our business is uh, I always I tell this to the team we will get fired for reasons that we cannot control. you know like new CMOs come in and they change agencies and so I think I think I always maintain and that's probably why I've been in such growth mode is because we're, I'm trying to outpace what I what I look at as inevitable churn. So the most worry is always going to be um, a client is, is, is not happy. Um, you know, something goes awry on a client, and, and you know, and then uh, the reverse of a pitch win happens, which is a client walks. Um, we've been very, very, very good with client retention. I think our clients are very, very happy by and large, but I think that's because I carry that constant worry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Uh, thank you for being honest, too. Yeah. Uh, number five, what's the current BHAG? What's the current big hair audacious goal for you? Uh, for, for Dagger, personally? Uh, i like to actually get both
2: That'd be okay good. um typically we're thinking personally but both would be awesome well i'll start with dagger i think um i, I laid out the what, what i saw was the landscape in atlanta and i and i do believe there's an opportunity for a world-class creative slash content agency here to the likes that atlanta hasn't seen that's the Hag. and i know it, it it's not quantitatively driven it's very qualitatively driven but i'm okay with that I think, I think, you know, when that happens, I think we we will feel that. And, you know, I think we're very formidable, very competitive in that space now. And you might be able to make a case, but I want that to be a, um, a sure thing. Um, personally, I, at some point in my life, um, hopefully sooner than later that I want to wake up every day and do exactly what I want to do. I want to be doing exactly what I want to be doing every day.
0: Nice. Love that. Boom.
1: Well done.
2: Yeah. Mike. Fun guys. I mean, yes. Cl- I mean, who would have thought two Clemson guys, you know? That's right. <laughs> Listen,
1: we're smashing old barriers. We're building right. new bridges. Right. This <laughs> podcast is healing the world. One Clemson USC fan at a
2: time. A big rivalry. That's a big rivalry. And our head of PR, who you guys met right before this call, she's a, I'm 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 Red Sox, she's Yankees. So there's all these, all these rivalries afoot. Uh-huh. I'm, uh-huh. glad be, I'm glad we built a bridge on this one.
1: Uh. Absolutely. No, on a, on a, on a real note, this has been a true pleasure. It's, it's really cool to, to learn about another company in my backyard in Atlanta doing some world class things, both at the client level, but also, again, I want to just encourage you uh, some really fantastic wisdom on your personal journey, on your leadership journey, as well as what you guys are doing as a culture there. Uh, I think your, your big hairy audacious goal is, uh, is, is, is very achievable And you're on that path right now, my friend. So thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your wisdom on the
2: podcast today. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate it. Jordan, appreciate it. Enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Take care, buddy. You too.
2: Thank you.
0: Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.